Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. Hey gang, Captain Mike Anderson here with the Real Animals Podcast presented by our good friends at Contender Boats. Today we're going to start out talking with our good friend Captain Jeffrey Page from Sarasota, Florida. He is with the Florida Insider Fishing Report, one of my very favorite people in the industry, just a fantastic, fantastic fisherman, great tournament angler, great charter captain, one of my near and dear friends in the fishing business. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast as much as I'm looking forward to doing it. Joining me this uh, afternoon, I guess it's afternoon now, my good friend from Artificial Guide Service, the uh, legendary West Coast angler, Captain Jeff Page. How are you today, buddy? Pretty good. How are you doing, Mike? I'm good, man. Did you catch bait already? Y'all baited up? Loaded up. That a boy. That a boy. I know Loaded you got, up. I know you got a charter after this. I appreciate you joining me here for uh, a little conversation. Jeff, I want to jump into a little bit of of you know Jeff Page as a kid. What What led Jeff page to be where he is in the industry um you know as a kid i mean what you know what 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 turned you to this outdoorsy path my brother and i used to and he's two years younger we used to go over to the seawall near our house and we usually would take you know a couple hot dogs or some bologna or just something out of the refrigerator And the whole game was to catch a dozen, maybe even two dozen pinfish, because there was a lady down at the North Siesta Key Bridge. Her name was Rose Coker, and she had a little shrimp shrimp stand. And if me and my brother John would bring her a dozen, two dozen pinfish, she would trade us out shrimp. And that's what we wanted. (laughs) So we would go catch pinfish on little gold hooks and little pieces of hot dog and then we'd go trade rose coker for the pinfish for shrimp and then we'd go right back to that seawall or further down the seawall and catch flounder speckled trout little gag grouper sometimes get a snook just variety of stuff and i can never forget the first real good fish i caught was before all that i went out on this seawall and hooked something i couldn't get up i might have been three or four so I stuck the rod in this rod holder on the end of this dock that this old man had. <laughs> and I ran across the street and got my dad. I think it must have been a Saturday because he was home. And he came over there and he reeled it in. And I'm not kidding you. It was a real doormat flounder. I mean, a real one. Nice. And I, that was it. I just wanted to catch more fish like that. And, you know, one thing led to another. And <clears throat> we started fishing up in Phillippe Creek for snook, especially in the wintertime with lures. And then in the early 80s, after I got out of high school, I commercial fished with some pretty cool cats out of Vamo and Osprey in Venice, Florida, which is just below Sarasota. Right. And they taught me all about the moons and the tides and the grass and, and why fish swim into the tide and just all that kind of stuff. And why when there's no moon, the water fires. When there's moon, it doesn't. Right. You know, the strongest tides are on the new moon and the full moon. Pretty much everything I know today, I learned from commercial fishermen. You know, I think now, that's... Now, I've learned some... 
That's Go a, ahead. I think that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting take right there because I've said it many many times um, that the very best fishermen that I know, I mean the best of the best, to me almost to a man or a, or a lady for that matter, they all seem to have one thing in common and that's a little bit of a commercial fishing background that they've spent some time on the water commercial fishing for mullet. They seem to be something exactly. about learning to read the water. It doesn't have to be mullet. It could be pompano, mackerel, sure. right. Right. Uh, stone crabs, blue crabs. Right. It's all kinds of stuff. These guys that, that taught me, they're all, well, I'm 58 this year, and they're older than old about with the tide. They would leave the dock with the tide and come home with the tide, assisting oh, wow. their pulling skips. And that... They would never mess with the mullet once they got row in them while they were in the flats and on the beach. I mean, on in the bay and on the flats. They would let the mullet gather up and push out the pass. And then all the commercial guys would tie their nets together. And they'd haul the mullet. And they'd get one big lick. And then they'd just divide it up. If there was 12 guys with 12 nets tied together, they'd divide it up 12 ways and that way, everybody made a check. The fish weren't messed with when they were in the bay, so they came out in full force, and it was pretty impressive. I've seen pictures of them outside the Venice Jetty over on the Comas Public Beach, right? where they've hauled down like, you know, 100,000. Sad part was, I think they got like a, a penny a pound. <laughs> right. Albert Boatwright told me there used to be a big, giant uh, boxcar, big railroad boxcar, and they would drive it out to the end of Boca Grand Island out there, and they would leave it right by where the phosphate dock is. They'd leave this boxcar full of ice. And during that week, it would, it would come from Tampa. And during that week, the commercial fishermen would all pull up to that boxcar, and I guess they, they had a way of knowing what they put in the boxcar, and they would, you know, they would slowly but surely add to it and cover it with more ice and add to it and cover it more ice. And then... The train would come and bring a new box car of ice and take the full one. Wow. And that's how they did it back in the day. There was no fish houses. And it was cool. just a different time. But I think that's where I got all my background. And then, you know, I went through some rough times in the late 80s. And I darn near either died or went to prison or a little bit of both. <laughs> right. Turned my life around in 1991. And I lived over on the East Coast. And I, I started laying roof tile every day. And, but I still loved fishing. And I met a guy that worked for SNS Roofing, had a brand new Hughes bone fisher that he bought in 1992 with cash right after Hurricane Andrew. And it had a, it had a 90 or an 85 Yami on it. And me and him started going up to the Indian River and flats fishing. And that's where I met Mark Nichols, Eddie Zayak, Rufus Wakeman. And the, I met all these guys before I ever was a guy. Oh, wow. And we'd be up there flat fishing when it was just amazing around Fort Pierce and Jensen Beach. Oh, bet. And then one day I came home and visited Sarasota, and I met this guy at the ramp named Tom Stevens, and I said, well, what are you doing with that tower boat? Because I'm <laughs> guiding. And the only guide I knew was Johnny Walker. Right. And he goes, I go, well, what do you get? And he goes, I get anywhere from 250 350 a day, blah, 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 blah. What do you do? And he explained to me, and I so I put that in the back burner and thought about it. I thought, you know, if I ever move home here, I might try that. So when I was over back in West Palm, I fell off a 
little tiny pool house in the backyard doing this roof, and I broke my wrist. And while I was laid up, I went to sea school and took my captain's license. And then I got my license, and then I moved home in 1999, and I started guiding. And I think the first year I had, I want to say, six trips, maybe eight. And then I met Jim Lemke, and he hooked me up with the guys at Family Boating. I had an old lap strake, 895 lap strake Hughes Redfisher. Lemke hooked me up with Family Boating. And I got a pretty good deal on a new 18 Redfisher with a 115 Yamaha carbureted gas motor, not even HPDI, just VMAX. And that was like my first, quote, sponsorship deal. And then Mark Nichols gave me my first bag of lures as a sponsor. And it was then I was off and running. And I think in 2000, I did 30 or 40 trips. And Paul Arcos, our good friend from Saltwater Angler Magazine. Yep. And I always joke to you about you and Billy's ad in that, but because <laughs> I remember seeing that ad and going, man, who are these guys? <laughs> there was another guy out of Apollo Beach named Chris Camp. And yep. I just thought, you guys, y'all were just magical. I'm like, ah, how do these guys do this? <laughs> you know, and then there was Ernie Rubio. And I was like, wow. And then I'd see Hag in... Florida Sportsman Magazine with these Berkeley power bait commercials. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, God. And, I, and then I started meeting all you characters at Frank Sargent shows and things like that. And then it wasn't long after that I met Rick Murphy. And he gave me a shot at doing redfish tournaments with him. And the brand new, it was back then, it was just called the Florida Insider Fishing Report. And yeah. Rick didn't even own it. He was just the, he was just the, chief guide and Whit Watson was the co-host with him. And uh, I think that was in 2003. It was owned by Sunsports then, I think, right? It was owned by, no, actually part Sunsports, but it was owned by Bonnier. Oh, that's right. Sport Fishing Magazine and Saltwater Sportsman. And so it was me, I'll tell you the original crew, Pat Deneen up in the Panhandle, who's still there. Yep. There was another guy in the Northwest, wasn't Ag, I can't remember his name, me, Ronnie Houston, um, the guy I call Chachi, but his name is, I can't remember his name, but he's not the Keys anymore. Then Mike Holliday, and then uh, Rodney Smith, and then Scott Guthrie in Jacksonville. Oh, yeah. Well, Guthrie. Now, we've lost some of those guys, and we've gained some new ones. We've got Hag. We've got Randy Tao. We've got Jimmy Ross. And yeah. then we've got a really good guy up in Jacksonville named Tommy Derringer now. So we've got a really solid team. And Rick bought it in 2008 when the economy was struggling. And they were like, we're going to shut it down. And Rick goes, well, hey, instead of shutting it down, why don't you let me buy the rights to it? Yep. And they said, okay. <laughs> so he's closed it down for one year. And we cranked it back up, and we've been going full steam. Now Rick has the Texas Insider Fishing Report, and it's in its third season. Yeah, it's crazy. He's doing, he's doing so well. And you've done, you've done amazing things. One of my favorite stories and one of my favorite people uh, in, the, in the entire fishing business, Jeff. Let's talk a little bit about – uh, Sarasota. Let's talk a little bit about the red tide. You know, last year we had, uh, for those people listening that don't know, 
Uh, we had a terrible red tide, one of the worst ones I've ever seen. Um, and it really beat up uh, Boca Grande and Sarasota, Venice, that whole area of the west coast of Florida. Sarasota, especially parts of Sarasota Bay, just got decimated. How's the recovery going, Jeffrey? All right. I like to tell this in two parts. Like you remember, I started guiding strictly artificial, except for I would catch shiners for big snook, and then I would use crabs for tarpon. Other than that, all, all artificial. Right. In 05 and 06, we had a red tide that lasted a year and a half. And after that, my all lure game was cut into two thirds. Right. So I had to start catching bait. So it got good, but it never returned to what I had from 2000 to 2009. So only my hardcore lure guys I did I keep lure fishing, and I became pretty much, you know, a pilchard throwing fool like all of y'all. <laughs> just like myself. <laughs> and then, and then this one we just had recently, because we're not even going to touch the freeze in 210 because that really was nothing compared to these red tides. This one we just had in 210. I haven't fished out of my home ramp in Sarasota since August, other than when a guy demands to, when a guy goes, I don't care if we catch anything. I just want to. I want to learn my way around something. Okay. Right. So it's pretty much turned into once a month, whether I need it or not, I, I do my milk route through Sarasota. And this month, April, is one of my best months of all months in Sarasota Bay. I went the other day and I ran my milk route. And luckily, I found some kingfish out on the beach, which are migratory. So it's not like they're homeboys. Right, And we got a 42-pound kingfish, like not even a mile off the beach, not a half mile nice. off the beach. And then we caught some other stuff, some mackerel, and an, another king we had on that broke us off. So I said, you know what? This is looking so good. Let's go down to these rocks down here, down South Siesta Key. I went down there. I caught two little snook. Normally, you can catch 20 or 30 with speckled trout, redfish, and flounder mixed in. It's all these fish that... I don't know where they come from. They come up from Venice or they come in off the reefs offshore, but they stop there and then they go up in the bays. Right. And nothing. Too little. And it was clean and I could see and it looked really pretty. But so it's going to be a slow, slow recovery. I just saw Scotty this morning. We caught bait next to each other. And, you know, if, if, if you want to talk to someone that's seen every incline <laughs> yeah. increase and decrease there is it's scott moore and he said he goes have you been down in sarasota i told him that story i just told you and he goes it's going to be a while and i go what three four years he goes yeah and he goes and that's hoping that we don't get another dose of it exactly exactly yeah well you know mother nature is resilient if nothing else and and hopefully you know the bad part about sarasota bay um, was you had multiple passes. And once the red tide came in, multiple passes, everything in between had no escape route. There was no rivers to right. go up. There was nowhere for them to hide. So Right. You know, and we don't have that big open. Right. Like, you know, I'm sitting here right now at Bean Point, and I can look over to Fort DeSoto, and everything in between is the Gulf of Mexico, like sure. Boca Grand Pass. We don't have that in Sarasota. We have little passes that are sealing up as we speak. Right. Yeah, so the water flow, the water flow wasn't able to clean it out and dump it out good. It's taken it a while to get it cleaned up. That's uh 
that's super sad to hear. But uh, again, hopefully, uh, you know, Mother Nature will will get that thing recovered and 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 rolling in the right direction. At least those parts of Sarasota Bay. How's the rest of your fishing been this year, Jeff? You know, after the red tide, trying to, you know, I mean, how is how well, like I, know- I said, I didn't miss a day. I I moved up here. What I used to do was go out of 10th Street in Sarasota and work my way up there. Now, I don't even launch at 10th Street, which is sad because it's five minutes from my house. Right. I launch right up here at Kingfish or 59th Street, where you and I have launched when we've shot real animal shows. Yep. And uh, I just roll out of here. And there never was any type of red tide from Bean Point east and north. Some came in the the path there a little bit and got on those piers at, at Anna Maria, but it never got up inside here at Perico and the mouth of the Manatee River and Terracia Bay and Joe's Bay and McGill Bay. Never got there. Uh, that was a blessing. And, and oh, it's, yeah. the fishing hasn't changed now. That being said, the pressure has sure. been, you know, doubled. But what they did was it was a great thing. They went ahead and put that closure you know, all the way up to Upper Tampa, right. which was a home run. Sure, I agree. You know, and now the trout, the 20-inch trout law, I hope they never reverse that. Yeah, I hope so too. Be- because that 20-inch trout, I've learned a lot about trout from Mark and the guys over in Jensen. That that five-pound, four-pound trout takes him seven years to get that big. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, seven, eight years. So you're looking at those big trout, once they get over 20 inches, only growing an inch, if that, a year. Well, and, and, and you, it, know, you know what else you learn from being a guide, and, and I'm sure you know this too, and, and I think people need to hear it to really understand. If you clean a trout that's 22 inches, you know, you gut hook them or whatever, and you decide you're going to take one. Normally, I don't. Normally, the rule on my boat right. is if we're keeping trout, we're going to keep 17 to 20-inch fish. Anything 20 right. and bigger, Me too. you let it go. But every now and then, you gut hook one. You know he's not going to make it. it. It makes it to the fillet table. If you fillet that fish and you look at the size of the rosac, if it happens to be a time of the year when they're you know, egged up, which happens which, multiple times way, a year. Which, by the way, they spawn. They spawn multiple times right. during the exactly. year. Exactly, exactly. So it's very Go easy. To, it's very easy to catch a trout that's all rowed up. You look at the size yeah. of the ro- the row sack in a twenty two or twenty three or twenty four inch trout, and it's huge. Yeah, the amount of eggs that that big trout puts out into our ecosystem into the estuary is ridiculous. So that's really yes. what where the damage comes in. It's not that you took home a a 24 inch trout i mean that's not the killer part the killer part is that that big female that big you know launch of eggs that you now don't have in that estuary that's the painful part oh yeah i mean i know you know that hurts the estuary and that's the thing that we need people to realize you know i think sometimes people get squared in on the fact that you know, it's almost like too much government, you know, that mentality that, all oh, they're another closure, another closure, another closure, you know, they're taking our rights away, they're taking our rights away. Well, that's not always the case. I mean, we're not, I don't think they're always trying to take those rights away. In these cases, we need those big breeder trout to be healthy and producing those eggs into our estuaries so that we have sustainable trout fisheries for the next three decades. You know why you you really have been hanging around CA a lot. You throw those words like sustainable, and 
just got. I never used to hear you speak so eloquent. Uh, well, I'm, I'm trying. I'm not nearly in Captain C. A. Richardson's class, as we know the uh, the Flats class. Oh, man is, he's on a whole. He has planet. words. Yeah. I don't even know what they mean. <laughs> I know it. I know it. But every now and then, I pick one up that's a little bigger than uh, some of yeah. the four letter words that I know. So, uh, but I, I, but I put mean, it this I, way. Hey, uh, C. A. He never, ever joined up on the filter game, and he got so upset with his lure game, he moved up to Dan Crystal. <laughs> right. Yeah. He sure did. He sure did. You know? He got tired of all the fishing pressure and moved it all up north. Yep. And and you know what? That's that's a pretty good move, man. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, I'm, you know, I'm jealous. I got a, I got a 17-year-old daughter that's still in high school in her junior year as we speak now. And uh, so I can't move yet. I'm stuck. But uh, after she's, once she launches, then all bets are off. And you never know what Beth and I'll do. So, it yeah, could, I, uh, it I've could got change. I've got an idea to move up there, the Panhandle, or really make the move and go to Louisiana Ooh. and just get me a double wide and park it in somebody's field, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> and just wither away right there. Now, let me ask you that. That leads me into a great question for you, Jeffrey. Uh, you know, a, a, a very famous tournament angler. You've won tournaments in many different states and competed for years. You and I competed against each other, and then you've stayed on the Redfish Tournament Trail. What's your very favorite place to fish in the United States? If you could only fish one place for the rest of your life what place would that be and why it you know a lot of guys will say delacroix but i would have to say venice because and you've been there oh yeah you have that gulf fishery that you can take your bay boat right out to catch giant red snappers giant mangrove snappers giant cobia i mean tunas <laughs> out of the bay boat and you can even you know come back in and redfish on your way home or Redfish in the morning and go do that stuff in the afternoon. You know what else I noticed about that fishery? Now, we're talking about Venice, Louisiana, not Venice, Florida. And he, he's referencing right. Delacroix, Louisiana. I, I've fished Delacroix several times here, especially the last couple of years. And to me, the big difference, and you said the right word, was the gulf is so close there at Venice that you get big these big flushes of fish. You know, when, yes. Dela, when Delacroix's off – and Delacro being off is still way better than most of the rest of the oh, country. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's it's phenomenal. Right. But when Delacro's off, when Delacro's when you actually have to work for your fish and you only catch twenty five a day instead of fifty five a day, um, right. you, you don't all of a sudden overnight get this giant flush of fish that the Gulf of Mexico gives to the Venice area. You know, we were just there. We're going to have a show air here um, in season thirteen, and and. It was the single greatest artificial day I've ever seen. Um, and, you yep. know, I've been doing this for 20-plus years now, and I've never seen red fishing like that. Uh, Ryan Rickard and I were digging lures out of the box in different colors just to see what they wouldn't eat. We were trying to find something we couldn't yeah. catch a fish on. It was the yeah, most yeah, unbelievable yeah. thing I'd ever seen. And if and, and we're looking at a shoreline, and if you turned around and looked to the south, there was the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, it was yeah. right there. And those fish just kind of show up there. It's unbelievable. It is. It's, it's unbelievable. And then you're leaving out another part of the equation. 
is that Mississippi River. Oh, That's course. where it ends the up. nutrients, sure. It ends up right there. And believe it or not, that Mississippi River is is an amazing piece of water. I mean, I just was at the Bassmaster Classic where they fished on the Tennessee River. And I got talking to uh, Shaw Grigsby, and Shaw said, well, you know, this Tennessee River is, is a one-of-a-kind river, blah, blah, blah. It runs this east and west, and it does this, and it goes up north, and it ends in the Ohio River. And I go, really? He goes, yeah. And then the Ohio River runs into the Mississippi. And then the Mississippi runs down to Venice, Louisiana. Right. But it's just, it's all the United States in that yeah. Midwest sure. runs down. I mean, it, it's amazing. If you ever, and now with all these apps and Google Earth, you can get on your tablet and you can Google Earth the Mississippi at Venice and follow that thing up into Illinois, I think. Oh, yeah. And it's just, it's crazy <laughs> how far it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And I like doing stuff like that. You know what's it, 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 what's interesting about that, and and I'll I'll bring this into this story just because uh, or yeah. into this conversation. Uh, I I went out to Louisiana in the spring, uh, not this spring, not their past spring here, but uh, last year we went out there okay. without really doing my homework on what was going on in the northern United States, right. But, yeah, so we get to Venice, Louisiana, and the water is more chocolate milk than I've ever seen it. We got talking to some people trying to figure out what was going on around there, and there was 17 million gallons a minute of water. 17 right, million gallons a minute was pouring out of the Mississippi, and it was all coming right. from up north. And when you would pull out of the Venice Marina, and you would take a left right there, and you would go to cross yeah. the Mississippi. The minute you hit the Mississippi River, you could feel Boom. the temp- you could feel the temperature change because the water was that cold. And you could feel cold. your boat swing. You, of course, it, and it was pouring. You bet. But it, I, what blew me away was the temperature. The minute you got oh, yeah. over that water, the water in the marina wasn't nearly as cold as the water pouring out of the Mississippi. I mean, it was still cold, but it wasn't cold like that. I mean, you could feel it in the air temp. The change the minute you got over the Mississippi in your boat, it was crazy. So my, oh, yeah. I would recommend to people that, to me, I go to Venice in the fall. I like Venice yep. better in the fall because you stay away from that possible winter thaw up north. One of the yep. things I've You're learned, exactly I like, right. I like, I like Venice, Louisiana more in October than I do in April or March. And it, and you're right. You what you in October you get prettier days more of them but right. you can hit it in november oh for sure <clears throat> what i tell people when they go there is if you can go for eight to ten days that's how you need to go because you're not going to get to fish every one of them right i don't care what time of year it is but especially sure. in the fall but if you go for eight to ten you'll have three or four of the greatest days of your life for sure spectacular days you'll be able to get way offshore do all kinds of uh of oh. really, really cool things. So I noticed uh, in some of your in some of your social media stuff there, Captain Jeff, that you have kind of a new partnership going on on tour. Why don't you tell me about that? Uh, which one would that be? You're fishing with Captain Alderman, aren't you? Oh yes, yes, yes. Well, Rick, because of the Texas show, 
Rick got buried this year. And, right. you know, we only do, Rick and I had got it down to where we were fishing four to six events a year. And he couldn't even do half of them. So he's like, you know, why don't we just take a year off? And I go, that's a good idea. And then I saw this power pole tour and I said to myself, huh, I wonder if I could get somebody that's affiliated with power pole and we could be a power pole team. Cause you know, John, I'm like family with those guys. Sure. And Ben came to mind and we called and we, we, we hooked it up and man, we've done Jacksonville, Steenhatchee and Panama city. We've had one good day out of six. Wow. We had the first day of Jacksonville. We, we, we were on it. And then every, ever since then it's been downhill. We've had a horrible season, but it ends up in Delacroix in end of May. So a little over a month, month and a half. Now, one thing I'll tell you about Ben Alderman is if he can have a week poking around in a place like that, I've seen him do it in Texas. Yeah. You give Ben Alderman a week running around in marshy area, he will find them because whether people know this or not, where he fishes in South Carolina, Charles that's Charles. what it is. It's, yeah. it's marsh. It's different than what you would ever think. He doesn't go out in the Atlantic Ocean. Right. He was, know, I'm sure he does occasionally, but he, he was, pretty much fishes the marsh. He was one of the most unique guys I've ever filmed with from the standpoint of, and maybe I was mind blown because I had never been to Charleston before and I didn't know what to expect. So maybe that had something to do with it as well. But what, 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 what Alderman did that was mind blowing was every single piece of shoreline that we were trolling, motoring down, throwing artificials. Ben could look ahead 30 yards and he'd say, you see that edge right there where the rocks start along the shoreline right about there is where we'll find them. And we'd get up yeah, there yeah. and there'd be 10 or 12 fish on that ledge. And then he'd be like, okay, well, they didn't eat, but you see this next where the grass starts down there? That There'll yeah, be some yeah, fish yeah. right there too. And you'd go down another 60 yards right where the grass starts and he'd be on them again. And he did this for two straight days all over yeah. the place in some of the toughest. Yeah. I mean, we had a horrible bite. I mean, we worked our keister off to catch six fish a day. I've never seen so much shrimp or bait in one estuary at one time. We were catching redfish that they looked blue. You know how a redfish gets a blue tail? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, their whole body was blue because they were eating so much shrimp that they just took on a, a light blue hue. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, but I was blown away with his knowledge of that Charleston estuary. I mean, really, really impressed. I mean, he knew every single inch of that marsh like the back of his hand. It was incredible. Well, I'll tell you guys a story about Ben Alderman. In the ESPN Redfish Cup days, I never won one. I got second three times. Ooh. And two of the three times, the guy that won it was Ben Alderman. Yeah. One time right here in Clearwater, he beat me and Eddie Zayak. And then another time in Texas, he beat me and Murphy. And both times he was in a back little, like at Clearwater, he was in that little pocket of Anclo Key. Oh, yeah. Yep. And he was in there sight fishing those reds that were under the mullet. Yep. And then in Texas, he was in the Sabine National Wildlife Refuge throwing at big orange pumpkins that never went anywhere. Rick and I were out on the jetties throwing at uh, dragging uh, crankbaits for these 
Oh, sometimes you get a 20 pounder, but when you got the right one, you have almost a 10 pounder. Because in Texas, it's 20, it's 28. But he beat me two of the three times I got second. Wow. Well, he's a great, he's a great fisherman. He's a great angler. I think the two of you together uh, make an incredible team. When I heard you guys were teaming up, I thought, boy, that's, I'd like to be a fly yeah. on the wall while you two guys are trying to figure stuff out because there isn't two, <sighs> in my opinion, any better at it than you two together. Yeah. We'll I, I would have we'll called foul. Day. I'd have called foul. I'd have been if I was running the organization. I'd be like, listen, you two can't fish together. That's not going to be fair. And then for we the get rest to do. <laughs> guess what? We also get to do the one. It's one event, two day, three day. If you make it to the third day, called the World Series of Redfish, oh, which nice. is in which is in Delacroix at the end of September, and you get. I think you're fishing for. Seventy-five thousand dollars wow. and these giant, like Jimmy Johnson Super Bowl rings. Wow! Yeah, and it's really cool. And there's only forty-eight invites. That's I was going to say that sounds like an invite only. It was, and you know, no, they didn't get all the best of the best because a lot of the best of the best don't do it anymore. Right. You know, and and but there's some really good. Guys, Watsies were going to come out, and then really? they really thought it through, and you know they looked at me and they went, "Nah, <laughs> it, it would be it would be neat, but Paige, we 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 can't last a week anymore." Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's tough. It is tough. It's tough. I notice it's tough. it. You're out here with me, and you're not you a young man. And uh, I tell these young guys, I tell them. Cause they talk to me and they joke with me and they laugh with me like I'm their age. And I say, you guys, I'm 58 this year. Remember I told you this when you're 58 and then tell me, yeah. you know, like Rick gross, there's another one. Sure. He's 58. Yeah. And you wouldn't know it. No, nope. that guy can go, man. <laughs> yes, he can. Captain Rick gross. Is a good one. What I find interesting is, I just turned 50 last year. I'll be 51 in June this year. And what I find is, and I, I really notice it when I'm filming because we'll film a show and when you're standing on the bow of the boat throwing artificials and you hit two, three o'clock in the afternoon and you're still filming, that's a lot of throws. And I don't throw that much anymore. I used to, and, and I always laugh because, you know, right. for, the, for the 10 years I fished the tournament trail, we threw from dusk till dawn every single day for days on end. I mean, it's what we did. You didn't, it never bothered me a bit. I never, my shoulder never got sore. My back never got sore. Now by two, three o'clock in the afternoon, the middle of my back is screaming. Like, oh, yeah. what, what are you doing? What are you doing? You can't do this anymore. So I can see the Watts brothers bowing out of that. It's probably a good move, especially against the field that fishes as hard as that are, bunch. They're, they're so cool. They're so cool. And yeah, um, who guys. else is in it? Oh, I'll tell you who's in it, old timer. Artie Price and Mike Kendall. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. man. That Artie Price, don't count him out. Oh, no. No, no. Well, that field, if it's 40 invites only, you, anybody could win that one, especially in a place like Delaware. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah, you get on, the right, right, Mr. You get Mike. on the right meet. It's all good. Hey, thanks for joining me today, Captain Jeff Page. We appreciate you very much, my friend. We'll do it again soon. Get caught up and uh, talk some more fishing. Good luck on your trip today, my friend. Thank you for everything. You do. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon.
Hey gang, hope you enjoyed that podcast there with my good friend, Captain Jeff Page. I love uh, kind of digging into the backgrounds of some of these incredible anglers that I've been fortunate enough to meet here in my 20 plus years of fishing in these incredible Florida waters. Uh, again, I, I appreciate you checking it out. If it's your first time, uh, we, we would hope that you would subscribe, rate, and review. And remember that the Real Animals podcasts they are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and ritampabay.com. We try to get new episodes up every Tuesday or so, so uh, look for new episodes on Tuesday. We don't always make it in exactly on Tuesday. Sometimes we do. Usually we do, but if we don't, uh, it's because of my crazy schedule. Sometimes, like right now, I'm in the middle of my finishing up my TV shoot schedule for season 13. We have just launched season 13. We started uh, at the beginning of the second quarter here uh, with our Naples Take a Soldier Fishing Show and uh, rolling into Jurassic Bass and some great trips we did in Louisiana. So be sure to check out Real Animals TV. You can check us out on Fox Sun Sports there. You can check us out on World Fishing Network. Locally here in Tampa Bay, we're on WMOR TV Channel 32 on Saturday mornings at 630. Uh, We're also available out in Texas and uh, out west on Tough TV and on YouTube America as well. Here in a couple of weeks, you'll also be able to check us out on waypointtv.com. So if you don't do the TV thing, maybe just stare at your computer all the time, which I get. Um, you can check us out on waypointtv.com. That's a free service, and all of season 13 will be up there uh, once we're done filming and got everything wrapped up. The first two seasons, actually season 11 and season 12, are available right now on Waypoint TV, so you can go back and check them out. Thanks for hanging out with us today, guys. We appreciate you. This is a Forking Around Town with Tracy Guida Quick Fix on Radio Influence. The Beer and Burger Throwdown, which is April 20th in Safety Harbor, one of my favorite events. So tell me a little bit about the Beer and Burger Throwdown. So the Beer and Burger Throwdown is going to be on 420 this year. Uh, It's going to be down at Waterfront Park. Safety Harbor has done amazing things with it. It's got a huge, uh, nice stage that's on site there. And we're just excited because we actually have some spectacular burger restaurants this year, as well as about six breweries signed up to do the beer portion of the event as well. The event has uh, two different things. You can come for the beer tasting from noon to three. You can come from the burger tasting. And we also have gone vegan friendly this year with two vegan options. We are super proud of that. Yes, they have. (laughs) Vegan options. Is at a burger yes. challenge. Yes, I love it. I get it. You've I never understand. tried the Impossible 2.0? Oh, of course I have. Okay. Of course I, I just have. had it last week. Yeah, it's excellent. So okay. Giggle Waters came on board this year. Uh, they're our local in Safety Harbor new restaurant concept with a viewing theater. It's kind of like a speakeasy theme. Ooh. They have a lot of unique items, even though they're just like a burger place. And they do the Impossible 2.0. Mm. I tried it for the first time. And we also have like a bean uh, burger option. And uh, new this year is 
burgers and a Repa burger. And of course, you know, the trucks are going to bring right. it. Yeah, they are. They're going to bring it. They always it. do. They took first, second, and third last year, all food trucks, kicked the restaurants out of the placing. So they're excited. And then we also have a donut burger that Jimmy Sliders is launching. And we've been trying to get one of those for a few years, too. Forking Around Town with Tracy Guida can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. 